0: Welcome to episode 42 of Contested Catch. It's our week two preview for the 2020 season. We just come off an exciting Thursday night football game, which we're going to chat a little bit about. We've got some injury updates for you guys uh, leading into this weekend. And of course, our DFS preview, which we're very excited about. Uh, maybe some best bets and a Bills prediction thrown in at the end. But first, Jeff, you're shirted today. You have a shirt. <laughs> I'm amazed. Uh, welcome. And you know, what do you think of the game last night? And you know how are you?
1: Yeah, so you know I'm wearing a shirt today because I have to hop right off with of this into a little work Skype call. So it's not going to be a pattern; just happens to be the way my schedule signed up today. But uh, not last night's game. I think it exceeded expectations, um, at least for me. I think I posted in our group chat tonight's game is going to suck, um, but. You know, not that it was really ever close, but there was enough, you know, entertainment to keep me interested and good distraction while um, also trying to watch a lecture so I can you know, churn out some more data apps for us.
0: There you go. Um, yeah, I, I was very happily surprised with Thursday night's game. Um, I think there are a few takeaways that we should discuss just to kick things off, and um, I think that starts with Joe Mixon. I think we saw him continue to be a dynamic receiver out of the backfield, seeing four targets. Um, for whatever reason, he just wasn't that involved when the Bengals were playing catch up. Uh, you know, they're still giving that work to Gio Bernard, but the hope is that Gio who did not look good, um, you know, that eventually shifts, but it didn't last year. So I would basically say if there is a buy low opportunity for Mixon in your league, I would go get him because he still looks good. And I think this offense is only going up from here. Um, also, A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd, very interesting numbers for both. I will start by saying A.J. Green, um, 13 targets, three catches for 29 yards, scoreless. Uh, as you pointed out, Jeff, he did have an interfered with would-be touchdown. But the main takeaway is that he's getting a ton of volume. And we're like pretty certain he's going to be the top underproducer after week two is all said and done. And we haven't even played another game yet. Um but Tyler Boyd was much more efficient, pro- probably a result of the types of targets he's getting. But I mean, I saw AJ Green not convert some some easier ones. Um, so there's some thoughts: AJ Green maybe is rusty, and Tyler Boyd is um, the the preferred play because he his only drop target. He was uh, seven for 72 in a touchdown, and the only drop target he had was a drop touchdown. But what I will point out to people is that Tyler Boyd saw like a lot of his more lucrative production when the Bengals are playing catch up. They threw 61 times. They had a ridiculous amount of plays. The real concern is that Tyler Boyd's final line looks okay, but, I mean, if they're, like, in the game and maybe running it more with Mixon, why is Tyler Boyd disappearing when they're really in the hunt? Um, Jeff, any thoughts on on these two wide receivers here for the Bengals?
1: Well, the only other thing I want to add is that T. Higgins is seeing an increase in snap count as well. So just in terms of a lower efficiency offense with um, a handful of receivers competing for targets. It just kind of makes it murky. I think Higgins emergence is probably going to hurt AJ green more than assuming he keeps ascending would hurt AJ green more than Tyler Boyd. But I do agree that, um, you know, if you're a Boyd owner, his lack of targets in the beginning is a bit concerning, but I think the flip side of it, is this is a team that's going to be playing from behind a lot and if they're throwing the ball not that i'm expecting 60 attempts a game but 35 40 you know you could probably get bailed out on garbage time at least frequently enough
0: yeah um so shifting over to the browns i think the biggest thing to talk about is a uh the browns looked much more like the team we know they're capable of being with a really really effective run game Great play action pass game. Baker looked good. Um, I, he wasn't hit a single time throughout the game, and I think a lot of this has to do with the Bengals being a terrible defense. We already knew that. is uh, something you know it was worth pointing out. But also, Baker looked good. You know, he was throwing on time balls. He was he had good placement. Um, he probably would have had a, a deep hookup with Odell for a second touchdown if it weren't for um, would have been or should have been called the pass interference. Um, but alas, I think the main thing to talk about here is Nick Chubb's outlook. And what I'd like to say is that we've been bullish on Kareem Hunt and bearish on Nick Chubb. And the reason is we already knew Nick Chubb was a great uh, runner, like just a pure rusher. He's probably, he's, if not the very best, he's probably top two or three in the league. Um, you know, right there with Derek Henry, maybe even Josh Jacobs. Chubb's a better rusher than Henry. Well, so there's your take right there. Um, The problem is, has been the receiving work and how much of the rushing work is he going to see to Kareem Hunt, well, you know, Chubb saw 22 carries and one target. Hunt got two targets, so just a little bit more but also 10 carries and someone named Kaderil Hodge got as, uh, twice as many targets as Nick Chubb. Jeff, how concerned are you with Nick Chubb's role in this offense if the team isn't leading by two scores in the second half?
1: Not that concerned because if you look at say the first half of the game against the Ravens, he was still involved a lot. It wasn't until they really fell behind in the second half where Kareem Hunt took over, and they're not going to be playing the Ravens every week. Um, so I've, I don't think they're going to face that drastic of a negative game script, except for when they play you know, a handful of teams. And you'll be safe enough with like the first half volume, and then assuming games are close in the second half, he's not going to be completely phased out. Um, Yes, it does kind of hurt his season-long ceiling, but I, this is a concentrated enough offense that I think Chubb and Hunt are both going to be, you know, fine, um, fancy assets. I think Jake Sealy compared them to Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman circa 2016, where they both finished uh, as top 24 running backs, and um, I think that's probably the situation, similar situation that we're looking at here.
0: Yeah. I had cream hunt priced very aggressively in my rankings in the summer. I'm very thrilled with, with the stocks right now that, that we have in, in hunt. Um, And, you know, shout out to the Scott Fishbowl 10 team that we drafted, which includes Kareem Hunt, Baker Mayfield, (laughs) Joe Burrow, Rip, uh, CJ Uzoma. So we we had a lot of fireworks last night for that. But moving on now uh, to our injury update, and we're going to start with uh, who many had as the wide receiver one going into this year. That's obviously Michael Thomas. Uh, He did not score a touchdown last night. That was a different Mike Thomas. Um, You know, we already talked about this on Tuesday's episode, but. High ankle sprain, cast it out in the next few weeks, at least. But apparently, he said he felt really good. Um, There's a little bit of hope, apparently, that he plays this week. Jeff, does this just feel like an opportunity to maybe sell a little bit less low on Michael Thomas, or are you in any way optimistic about Michael Thomas now with the, you know, I guess a little bit more optimism coming out of uh, Saints camp?
1: Um, not I, not really. I mean, I still think. I don't think he plays this week and um, you know, even if he's back on the field week three, like he's going to, I just don't see how he's going to be full, like at the top of his game. And I feel like he'll be 70, 75% and it's still going to be a few weeks until he really gets up to speed. And the saints, you know, they added Emmanuel Sanders, Drake Smith is looking good. So I just, I'm not sure that they'll, really forcing the ball as much even if he is healthy and because they have more weapons. And I mean, I could even see Latavius Murray almost being the full time or the main running back where Kamara is spitting out a ton. So I just don't think he'll be as effective. And I don't think they're going to force him the ball the way they did last year to really be excited about his fantasy prospects over the next like two, three, four weeks.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right on there. And I'm also I like being optimistic about Latavius Murray's potential increased usage. I'm not that enamored with, you know, buying in on Emmanuel Sanders hype. I just, you know, he looked pretty good in, in work last year in San Francisco. Obviously, they brought him in this year. Um, I mean, traquan I would love for a breakout from Traquan. I think the real play here is Jared cook who looked good in week one. Obviously had a good season last year. Um, He's already got the built up rapport as a, you know, every down player basically with drew Brees. So to me, I think the real winner out of this situation is Jared cook. And I think that's because I mean, I just got him off the waiver wire in two leagues. So uh, I think Jared cook is a good buy for the next couple of weeks. And I think he's probably a pretty solid DFS play too. Um, Jeff, Amari Cooper uh, was a late add to the injury report this Thursday with an ankle injury. They called it a foot, but we know it's an ankle. Um, he's likely to play this weekend. Do you have any reservations about um, putting Amari Cooper in lineups this week after he had 14 targets last week?
1: No, the, it's just so high of a ceiling. I feel like it's just one of those minor bang-ups. I mean, Amari just seems like at this point one of the players who's going to be in and out of injury reports for like his whole career. And you're just like – mean Julio's on injury report or Brady was on an injury report back when they had the probable designation every week and I I just think that's kind of maybe the player he is um he was still clearly the target leader for Dallas last week and now you're going up against the Atlanta secondary that just got absolutely shredded by Russ and Lockett and DK and you want to play pieces of that offense.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, no more Blake Jarwin. He's you know he was lost last week to an ACL injury. Uh, I I honestly think maybe the the real play here is with the potential re-injury risk, or maybe he's just hobbled and more of a decoy. I really like Gallup and Ceedee Lamb this week. Um, if you have them, I would not hesitate to fire them up as flex options. Um, and but at the same time, you know you're not going to bench Amari Cooper if he's active. Um, George Kittle, a guy that we think is, you know, the best non-quarterback in the NFL probably, maybe next – or at least on the offensive side of the ball, up there with Aaron Donald overall. Uh, knee sprain in week one, obviously not ideal. We're pretty thankful it was just that. Obviously, a sprain is still partial tear. Um, he, he was He's not practicing all week. He's highly questionable for the game. There's a chance he suits up. If active comes Sunday morning, Jeff, are you starting George Kittle?
1: In my season-long league, if I had George Kittle, well, it would depend on what my other options were. I would probably—I know Logan Thomas is still out there on a lot of waiver wires. I'd probably be inclined to start him over George Kittle. Um, but if not, like, yeah, you just fire him up. I mean, touch—you know, tight ends. You all, all you need is a touchdown. They're going up against a Jets team that is just does not look good. Um, in DFS, I'm trying to fade him hard this week, maybe just not even play him at all. So, um, you could make an argument that Jordan Reed is the better play in week two.
0: Um, obviously Jordan Reed is now the backup for George Kittle. And I'm saying that as, uh, you know, George Kittle might, might get like, you know, 25 to 50% of snaps that, uh, he normally would have, if he's made active based on his knee sprain, I don't think they're going to need him to win. Obviously the rest of the San Francisco receiving core is pretty banged up, but, to me, I'm fading George Kittle this week, even if he's active. I think um, I think that's something they don't want to mess around with, and I don't think I don't want to mess around with it either. Unfortunately, I have George Kittle in, in a lot of leaks, so um, that will be a little bit of a bummer. But I was also able to get like Dallas Goddard, Noah Fant, Jared Cook on the waiver wire in a lot of places, so uh, I, I would look elsewhere in week two. Chris Godwin, Jeff, someone we were talking about um, offline. Obviously, there was some pessimism about being added late to the concussion protocol on Wednesday. He apparently practiced today in some capacity. Uh, he's still doubtful for Sunday, according to Bruce Arians, the head coach, and he's still in the protocol. So, Jeff, I mean, I think that this is obviously, you know, obviously, if he's active, he's probably playing. You know, we don't usually think of like in-game concussion um, re-injury risk. But, you know, if you get if if he's made active on Sunday, are you doing anything different?
1: Probably the same thing as George Kittle. I would play put him in my lineup for season long um but i would I would not pl- put him in a dFs lineup and I think Scotty Miller, if he's out there on your waiver wire, you should be going out there and adding him and especially if you're a Godwin owner, and I would play him um before I play Godwin in Draftkings. I think someone to look out for
0: here is Mike Evans, who apparently is over the hump with his hamstring injury. Um, we know he has eruption games and without Chris Godwin being at hundred percent or even active, uh, I think there's a chance that this is one of them. I think Tom Brady is not happy with the way that his uh, week one performance is characterized or maybe, you know how he played just period. So Mike Evans is an interesting play as well. If you're banking or if you're, you know, trying to capture potentially one of his ceiling games every year. Um, moving on to Cortland Sutton, obviously he has the shoulder injury, the AC joint sprain. Apparently he's a game time decision. Um, if they give him the go, are you playing Cortland Sutton?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm playing him. I'm not too concerned about that. Um, and he's going to be the number one target for drew lock. Um, you know, we kind of saw what no- we saw what Noah Fant did on Monday night football. And I feel like, uh, Sutton's going to do even more with that.
0: Yeah, I, I was gonna say I actually like Noah Fant again, going for the alternative here. True.
1: Um Yeah, it's, you know, the biggest concern there is just overall matchup against the Steelers defense. But, right. I mean, t- Tennessee's got a pretty good defense too, and they still did well enough for fantasy that I'm fine firing up Sutton, especially with like a projected three percent ownership on DraftKings.
0: Yeah, I think there's a decent chance that the Steelers defense really knocks Drew Lock and the Denver Broncos down a peg, um, but. At, this, at the same time, you know we saw enough out of this team, this offense, in week one that I feel like Fant should still be uh, heavy consideration for a tight end one spot. Um, last for the injury update here, Jeff, Miles Sanders. He apparently practiced all week. Um, he's been f- practicing fully, that is. Uh, he appears to be good to go for week two, as is Lane Johnson, and obviously the right tackle. Um, that's a big get back there. And Jalen Regor is no longer ha- carrying an injury designation. Is it wheels up on Miles Sanders in week two?
1: I'm still holding up a little bit. Obviously, if you have them in your season-long league, like you're firing them up, no question. I think for DFS, I don't really want to touch this backfield this week. The matchup isn't fantastic against the Rams. Um, while Zeke had like, a pretty good game rushing, they still just they got to Dak pretty well. And um, you know, Aaron Donald in the inside is really just gonna blow things up. And then on the you know workload i i even if sanders is healthy i just don't see the eagles giving him full bell cow work first game back from the injury i feel like you know they might give him they'll give him most of the work but they'll still mix in a little bit of um scott and clement that i just from um king standpoint i don't see the ceiling for week two one more injury too with H. A. brown and a bo- uh, bone bruise in the knee yep that's true so um yeah, he is someone who's popping a lot in our uh, lineup generator right now, but I'm sure we'll have to uh, take him out um, tomorrow once we run it again, updated for all the injury news.
0: Yeah, I think that's smart. Um, AJ Brown has been a little bit of a concern through, you know, week and a half right now, so keep an eye on that, uh, especially if you are relying on him as your top receiving option in a season-long league. Um, okay, so real quick, we've got a uh, a trade question here from Zach Kimbaum he's receiving Alan Lazard Benny Snell and Antonio Gibson and sending Raheem Mostert and Jalen Regor
1: which side of this trade do you like uh most Raheem Mostert and Jalen Regor I mean M- Mostert looks like uh lower end RB1 right now with that offense so um you know usually I like the side that's getting the best player and that's Raheem
0: yeah I also think there's actually a lot of guys that are interesting in this trade. I think getting, you know, it's not really buying low, but getting um, Antonio Gibson in this feels like almost like a throw-in. When I obviously really like his season-long upside, but he's also giving, um, he's also getting Jalen Rager on the other side. So, um, yeah, I, I lean there with you as well, and that's just because most through one week makes me look wrong for fading him. I also think that most of his production came on one play, which was a pure speed play. But McKinnon. <laughs>
1: makes you look right for fading him
0: that's true that's true mckinnon did look good um and that was you know week one was with tevin coleman playing barely at all um okay so that so that's our answer there we're gonna go with the mostert and jalen regor side over the alan lazard uh antonio gibson side um dfs preview time jeff let's hear it first with your top lineup from
1: the lineup generator this week all right so the lineup with the highest projection has Kyler Murray, Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Adam Thielen, A.J. Brown, T.Y. Hilton, Chris Herndon, Marvin Jones II, aka Marvin Jones Jr., and the Dolphins' defense. Obviously, as I mentioned, there's a little issue with A.J. Brown in the injury, so you know that probably won't be our best lineup when uh we update everything. But you know, so this one where um, it had a little bit of the end stack with Henry and Brown and then the um, Colts-Lions game was the other stack with Taylor Hilton and Marvin Jones. Personally, um, one of my stacks that I really like this week is, it's a homer stack, but um, Josh Allen, in four matchups against the Dolphins, has finished as the QB1 on the week twice, plus QB6 and QB7 finishes, I believe. So with that in mind, I really like stacking Allen and Diggs or Allen and Brown and then running it back with one of the pass catching options in Miami, my which could be Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, or Mike Esecki. Personally, I would opt to run it back with Mike Casecki because Parker is still dealing a little bit with that hamstring injury. Preston Williams, you know, didn't quite is still recovering from the ACL. Saw some cut-ups of him um against the Patriots and he was just kind of getting uh knocked around a little bit by that secondary but Mike Gusecki um the Bills just announced today that both starting linebackers Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are going to be out so I think Gusecki is the player you want to run it back with um kind of attacking the middle of the field against those backup linebackers yeah I, I think also
0: um in to stick on the AFCs for a second here. Chris Hernan is a really interesting play this week. I have not been a Chris Herndon stand. There's a, t- there's, there was a ton of hype this summer for him. Uh, and you know, even last year as well, um, keep buying low on the suspension at the beginning of the season. Uh, I just have never been that enamored with him, but l- right now we can't ignore him because now Jameson Crowder is out too. And we're seeing Chris Herndon be like the clear top option, you know, n- next to, or I would say definitely above Rashad Perriman. Um, but the problem is no one saw more than 50 air yards in this offense last week, except Jamison Crowder. Um, you know, he saw a ton of targets. Herndon saw seven. I didn't, you know, I'm not, I don't really like buying into this offense at all, but in a PPR format, I think Chris Herndon could see like literally 12, 13 targets this week. Uh, if he catches 10 of them for like 60 yards and a touchdown, that's pretty good week. Right. I mean, it's least oh, yeah. worth consideration.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think the the tough part is just trying to figure out how to, if you wanted to stack with that game. Yeah. You know, on the 49er side, they have just as many injuries. So you know, I would say if you wanted to stack the game, you just go Raheem yep. as a running back, Herndon at tight end, and then just don't really touch the rest of it. Or maybe you go McKinnon. Um, but yeah, it's just like a tough game to stack. But I mean, again, also, you just plug Herndon into your tight end position. And then you just figure out stacking everything else is also an option.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right. So what other stacks are you interested in this week, Jeff? Obviously, we're talking not
1: just team stacks, but also game stacks. So the obvious one is the Atlanta Dallas game. Two yep. high-powered offenses. Atlanta's defense is absolutely awful. Um, you can just pick and choose your options at this point. You know, Atlanta's got three wide receivers, Julio, Ridley, and you can even play russell gage it looks like and i mean same with dallas and then zeke is probably going to be the third most owned running back on the week behind the chalk of jonathan taylor and benny snell so you you definitely want to build some lineups with this game it's just going to be a little bit chalky and there are some high-priced uh players so that's where uh chris herndon comes in handy uh $3,400 $3,400 or you know, Logan Thomas at 3600 And then.
0: Or Jordan able, Reed.
1: Yep. Or Jordan Reed. And then you're able to squeeze in some of these expensive players. And then the Colts versus the Vikings. Um, we saw what Aaron Rodgers did to the de- rebuilt, but still. Um, still building. <laughs> yes. Yeah, st- yeah. But still building Vikings secondary. Um, and I mean, Gardner Minshew well not the most efficient still went 19 of 20 against the Colts defense so Adam Thielen is just going to be an absolute target hog and then on the Colts side Jonathan Taylor he's going to be likely the most owned player on the slate I still don't want to completely fade him I'll probably be underweight relative to the field just because you kind of have to but he's been one of my um Main targets for season long. So 5,700, you have so much upside there. And then, you know, so you can go Taylor, Thielen, Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton, or, you know, maybe do Cousins. I don't know. What makes it a little tough for me is I don't really like the upside of either Rivers or Cousins. Right. If I were to play one, it's going to be Cousins. Otherwise, like, I don't know. You could just do Taylor, Thielen, Taylor, Campbell, Thielen. Um, and then pivot away and do build a different stack uh, with your quarterback and two other receiver spots.
0: Jeff, um, is this crazy to consider as a part of that stack, Thielen, Taylor, and Hines? Because we know that Phillip Rivers isn't that exciting of a quarterback option, but we also saw him and and this Colts team target running backs at like an absurd rate in week one. Obviously, you're capturing the rushing upside of the team, but you're also expecting probably – at l- You know, I would say almost a conservative estimate
1: for week two is 10 running back catches between between the two of them. I wouldn't. It's an interesting way to gain like, kind of play the chalk, but still gain differentiation because nobody or very few people are going to be doing Taylor and Hines. But I feel like it caps your upside a little bit. That's fair. Um, Especially like if Taylor hits that ceiling, you want him to for the tournament play. I don't see Heinz returning a ceiling to like push you further over the edge. Um, but I think you could, if you could pivot from Taylor to Heinz.
0: Yeah, that, that was, well, I think, I, I think
1: that would be smarter than, um, playing both of them. And
0: here's the reasoning for Heinz to still be optimistic is that we saw him be the red zone back in week one. Um, I think that they're obviously the the bull case for Jonathan Taylor season long is very clear. We're very excited about him. Um, but at the same time, we're only one week removed from Naheem Hines being the red zone back. I don't think that that has necessarily changed. So is Taylor going to pop for big plays? Yes. But
1: he has such his accelerations unreal. I mean, he reached 20 miles per hour on like a five yard play.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I just think that really the role that we know Taylor is eventually going to get might not come in week two. And therefore I still think that that could be found in Naheem Hines getting, you know, six plus targets or catches um, and the red zone role. So I wouldn't completely throw Hines out of the mix either. All right, Jeff, is there, is there anyone that stands out as a favorite play of yours, maybe an isolated player um, that isn't a part of one of the stacks you mentioned or just someone that you want in your top lineups this
1: week? Not yet. I mean, I think there's just a lot of good plays. Uh Will Fuller seems like uh you know he's just like in every week you need to get him in. Especially I think that Baltimore going to be running it up against Houston again, that Fuller's gonna have to be fed. I don't know. There's but there's not really any one player that I'm like, okay, I gotta get him in in, in cash. Actually, the one thing is, I think Christian McCaffrey's a little bit of a fade for me this week. Interesting. Uh, okay, it's the exact opposite of what you asked, but
0: <laughs> well, um, that's, that's good to know because he's someone that a lot of people will probably be building around.
1: Yeah. So, two of his worst games last year were against the Bucks. So, um, and you know, the Bucs really stifled the Saints. I mean, the Bucs have one of the best run defenses. So. I don't think McCaffrey is going to have a strong game on the ground and I would. um, So that means he's going to have to score via passing. And at least last week he did not put up really the reception totals he was last year. Maybe it was just the first game, but there's a little bit more weapons for uh, Teddy to throw the ball around to. And I question um, how high that receiving ceiling is going to be at least for this week. So when he's still consistently one of the more owned players on the slate and he's, uh, 1600 more than the next most expensive player. Um, I would rather be underweight and I'd rather pivot down to Derek Henry at 7,900 Zeke at 8,200. Um, like, so, uh, yeah, that's why I you know, still sprinkle him in a little bit just because he's Christian McCaffrey, but at $10,000, tough matchup, and some other really like good matchups for the other Bell Cows on the slate for sixteen hundred, two thousand dollars cheaper. I would rather play those guys and um allocate my money elsewhere.
0: I've got I've got one for you, Jeff. Um, and it's a guy that I think we can both agree underperformed in week one. Um, and that's DJ Chark. And the reason is the Jags are more than a touchdown underdogs. They're seven and a half is the line right now. Um we saw Chark get only four targets in week one, and we know that he's the number one wide receiver. He also got 39% of the air yards in week one. Gardner Minshew looked good, but I think this team is going to be playing catch-up for most of the game. And I think they are determined to uh, you know, beat this Tennessee team that has routinely embarrassed the Jags. So uh that would be someone that I'm interested in playing this week. Uh obviously you could also try to get a share and, and maybe go with Chris Conley or Lavisca Chenault, obviously, were huge fans there. I think that this um, this matchup lends itself to uh, the the top pass game weapon for the Jags, and I would say that's DJ Chark. Yeah, I
1: think Mark Ingram is another. Um, he, he's projected like three four percent ownership after J.K. Dobbins vultured two goal line touchdowns last week. Um, I think it's possible that oh, now they. It's Ingram's week against, you know, against the bad Houston defense. We saw what Edwards Hilaire did that if Ingram gets the goal line work. Okay. Boom. Two touchdowns and you, you know, more than hit your line on that 5,400.
0: Yep. Fair enough. Um, All right. So moving on to our best bets coverage uh, for this week, we've got a couple bets. We uh, hit three or four last week, which I'm excited about. Um, Barely missed on that Dallas Rams game. Um, But we're running it back against the Rams this week. I'm going Eagles plus one. And I think that the public is kind of still thinking, oh, the Eagles, you know, they got absolutely decimated by that Washington football team front seven. Um, Obviously, you know, the Rams are led by Aaron Donald in the trenches. And I still think that that is a mismatch. But they get Lane Johnson back. Uh, Jalen Regor is more healthy than he was. Um, they get Miles Sanders back. I think that this Eagles team is uh, angry and ready to uh, rebound after a really, really rough week one finish. Um, so that's the first one for me. I would also go Bill's money line. And the reason I'm not going Bill's spread against the, the, the Dolphins is that I always live in fear of Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Bills. Uh, he's just, you know, it just feels like one of those games that he's going to make it closer than it probably otherwise should be. Um, the other thing is the Bills are missing their two top linebackers and Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. So this vaunted defense is a little bit um, damaged going into this week. The next one I like is Kansas City Chiefs minus nine. Obviously, you know, heavy, heavy favorite, but uh, against the Chargers, this Chargers team did not look good in week one. Uh, they're, you know, they're just not this the team that I think is going to take down the Chiefs, and I think nine is a pretty aggressive line, but The Chiefs did not debut any of the really, really um, creative play calls with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in week one. I I feel like that speaks more broadly to them feeling like they didn't need it against the Texans. You could maybe make the same argument uh, for them against the Chargers, but more so what I really think is they have plenty of tricks up their sleeve, and I wouldn't be surprised if they want to start uh, getting Tyreek and and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire involved in the pass game more so – I like the Chiefs to dominate the Chargers this week. Um, and then the last one is a little bit of a riskier one, so take note. Uh, but Washington football team, money line, plus 255 against the Cardinals. Uh, I think the Cardinals are a solid team, but I don't think that they are necessarily going to beat the the Washington team uh, by a touchdown. I think that the front seven for Washington really gives a lot of uh, encouraging Signs about this this defense, but not only that, we didn't see Arizona stop a tight end last year. Logan Thomas uh, looks like a pretty interesting play, like Jeff already said, in DFS, but also Terry McLaurin had a quiet week one. I think he comes out looking better. I think Dwayne Haskins um, had, a, had a better finish to week one and maybe just had some second year slow starts uh, in, in the first half. So I like Washington to keep its momentum in week two and to take down the Cardinals. So, Jeff, any thoughts on any of those plays this week?
1: Well, I disagree with you on the Eagles-Rams game. Um, I, just, um, I think the Rams are probably going to win that. And I have them in a teaser, which I already hit the first leg. So it was Chiefs minus 8.5, Rams minus 1.5, Bengals plus 6, Seahawks minus 4, six-point teaser. So – um yeah you know, so that means like now I just need the Chiefs to cover two and a half I need the Rams to cover four and a half etc so hit the first leg last night um uh, I think I just still think Aaron Donald blows up that inside Wentz didn't look fantastic yes he was under pressure but I think he was kind of holding the ball a bit too um I, don't know, I feel like we might have been sleeping on the Rams a little bit too heavily this summer
0: yeah it's possible for sure I mean we talked about this offline that I still think the Rams over, overperformed in week one. And I think the Eagles underperformed in week one. So I think the line is pretty fair, but speaking of
1: teams that underperformed, then you got the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> minus four and a half, um, coming back home. I think that they're really, even though it's not really full home crowd. I think minus four and a half, um, you know, they didn't do a lot of the things like that. They talked about with pre-snap motion play action. Very run heavy on first down. I think they should have a good week, and um, I like them minus four and a half against the Falcons. One other line I like is the Giants plus five and a half. Me too. Uh, largely, I, I mean, you're giving Mitch Trubisky five and a, or Mitch Trubisky's laying five and a half points. Like,
0: keep in mind they were down. What was it, twenty one three and in fourth yeah. quarter? Down twenty one in the fourth quarter. Like they had one good quarter of football. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, so, and not a giants fan, but I'm not four, five and a half points for Chibisky is way, way too many. So I guess give me Danny dimes and, uh, Jason Garrett plus five and a half.
0: Okay. Good stuff. Um, all right, Jeff, let's wrap up here with the Buffalo bills prediction for this week. Obviously we already talked about it a little bit. They're playing Miami. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is still the quarterback there and they are down their two starting linebackers, the, the, uh, core of their defense. Um, you know, do you have any reservations about chalking this one up as a W for the bills?
1: No, not really. Um, It just makes me not want to touch the six point spread, but Allen's really kind of had the dolphins number. And um, like, so last week, the Patriots and Cam Newton, they just ran a ton of QB zone read QB power. And I think we'll see them, the bills do that a lot with Allen this week and he'll, Last week he really got it done with his arm. I see him getting it done a lot on the ground this week, and uh, I just don't think the Dolphins have the firepower, especially with the um, injuries to Parker and you know Williams still kind of getting his feet underneath him to really exploit the defense, even as banged up as they already are.
0: If I'm gonna bet, I, I'm gonna bet on the money line because I just <laughs> I don't I don't trust Ryan Fitzpatrick to let the Bills win by that much. But at the same time, that's, that's where I'm going with for this week. So um, hopefully we're two and zero there and everyone listening, we hope you guys have a great week in DFS and season long fantasy, continue to enjoy it. You know, we're talking about week two here. It already feels like we're just thrown back in the mix, but don't forget, you know, we took, we took a lot of football for granted. So uh, one of the lessons I'm taking with me into week two is just trying to sit back and enjoy having football again and not stressing too much about the numbers and every single goddamn play. <laughs> like I did in week one. So with that said, Jeff, any final
1: thoughts here? Um, Ronald Jones, the second, two touchdowns this week, 100 yards. Wow.
0: Okay, you heard that. Uh, Probably got to toss him into a DFS lineup now. Um, Good stuff. Okay, that does it for episode 42 of Contested Catch. We hope you guys enjoyed. Good luck, and we'll hope to catch you next time.